Good morning, Rimrock Church. It is wonderful to be here with you. God has blessed us with a beautiful week and more sunshine, and I'm so excited. Um, so let's worship him this morning.
Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Are we connected? Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Rimrock Church. Glad you're here this morning. Um, I'm Chris Doyle, and I have been um, tasked with or given the honor of connecting with a mission that we have at Rimrock Church called India Evangelical Team, IET. And we just sent out an update a couple weeks ago about what's happening there. If you remember last summer, we had a watermelon feed out in the meadow during one of the services, and you were incredibly generous to come alongside that ministry and support their need to purchase motorcycles. And so we have a little video that we want to show you this morning. At its peak, COVID-19 infections soared to 400,000 per day in India. The official death count averaged around 4,500 each day. But experts say the actual numbers were dramatically higher, with the average infection rate at least 12 times higher than official reports. Indian evangelical team leaders weren't immune to infection. Sadly, Many of these missionaries who were traveling on foot or using public transportation fell sick. Several of our leaders died in the spring of 2021. After these tragedies, we reached out to you, our supporters and friends, for help acquiring motorcycles for our missionaries so that they could travel safely. You responded as you always do, with tremendous generosity. With your help, we purchased more than 200 motorcycles for our leaders to use. These two-wheeled blessings have been lifesavers, literally. None of our leaders have died from infection since receiving them. And the usefulness of these motorcycles will extend long past this pandemic. After COVID, the leaders will be able to visit more villages, resulting in more humanitarian efforts like clean water wells, and more spiritual efforts of believers being discipled. As a team, we have been praying desperately for these motorcycles. Your faithful prayers and financial partnership made the answer possible. Thank you. When I had a bike, I was visiting my two-three hours. But when I got a bike, I could go to a week in a week. When I had a bike, तब मैं केवल एक ही गांव में जाकर के लिटरेसी प्रोग्राम में कर पा रहा था, परंतु अभी जब मुझे बाइक मिला, तब अभी मैं चार गांव में जाकर लिटरेसी प्रोग्राम में कर पा I've used this motorbike to take food bags to hundreds of hungry village children during this lockdown. I have taken beaten believers to hospital on this bike. My children sleep in peace because they know that I am safe. 
my wife is happy that I come home every night instead of having staying in some trees or in some villages. So we just thank you for your support in that. And that comes from the leadership at IET. They are just so appreciative, not only of our financial support at Rimrock, but also of our partnership in friendship and prayer. And so with that, um, if you are new to Rimrock this morning, in front of you, you'll see a card. And we encourage you to fill that out. And then you can take that to the very back of the gathering center back there where the coffee pots are and submit that. And somebody from church will reach out and connect with you and get you involved at Rimrock. Um, elders are going to be available at the front of the church after the services today. So if you have a special need, if something's going on and you want some fellowship prayer, please come forward. And, and let us help you in that. Let, let us connect with you and pray with you for the things that you need. On Friday, March 25th, at 6.30 at the Downtown Exchange, we're going to gather as a church for a prayer time. It's really the conclusion of our study of Judges. And so, of course, in the book of Judges, it points to the idea that we gather and pray together. So on Friday, the 25th, 6.30 downtown. Please come and join us if you're available for that. If you will, will you join me in prayer this morning and then we'll get back to our praise and worship. Heavenly Father, you have brought us together with such ease. We just thank you for that. We thank you that we are here in this place and we're able to join each other and be a church family together. That's not the case everywhere in the world. God, people come here today, there's something heavy on their heart. Hear their, hear their prayer. Give them an acknowledgement of your presence that they would sense peace. God, we just pray for our partners in India. From us here in Rapid City, Lord, lift up our love for them, and let them feel it. Amen. So as I was uh, praying through the songs this week, um, there are a couple songs that got it kind of laid on my heart, but I wasn't sure if, if we had done them here before, if everyone would be familiar with them, and sometimes that those are, you know, some of the things that I think through and pray through is, are people going to know the words to this? Are they going to connect to it? And and uh, God just kind of stopped me and reminded me, Hannah, who are you singing these songs to? <laughs> are you singing them to the people out here? Are you singing them to me? And, and that it doesn't, it doesn't matter so much if we all know the words, if we all are singing perfectly in unison, but that our hearts are turned towards the Lord. And that we don't even have to speak a word from our mouth to, to worship the Lord. That's a gift and, and definitely a joy to get to do so. But even just to play music or to just turn our attention to the Lord as worship to him. And so these songs are all about just coming before the Lord, beholding who he is, that he is deserving and worthy of all of our worship, no matter what. And so this first song I wanted to sing was just an invitation for God to search our hearts of what expectations we come to church with, what expectations we come to worship with. Is it, God, I can only worship you if I know the song. I can only worship you if, if I like the music or I like the preaching. Um, I can spend time with you if I get these other things done first. I can go to church on Wednesday night if the kids are, are you know, awake and ready to go. Um, but laying down those expectations and just coming under God's authority for who he is because he is worthy and he doesn't have to meet us halfway. He doesn't have to say, okay, we'll, we'll do something you like this week so that you'll want to come and show up. But he is worthy and we owe everything to him to come and bow before him and behold that he is God. So I want to sing this song and just invite you to listen if you need to listen, to sing from the top of your lungs if you need to sing from the top of your lungs. But just to worship God because he is worthy. 
anything, God, it just means we owe you everything, God. You are holy, God, just for letting us be here on this earth with you. We praise you, God, we thank you. We pray for Ben as he comes, God, that you speak through him, God, that we continue just to worship you, completely surrender, God, to what you want to do and what you want to speak. 
Isn't it awesome to sing to a God who is so worthy? And I just think in there, you know, in heaven's throne room, every nation, tribe, and tongue will lift up that song of holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Isn't that awesome to think about? And even this morning, uh, there's believers gathered in little huts in India and places in Africa and Asia, even in Ukraine, as the bombs are falling, there's believers gathered praising God. And so it's a, dri- it's a joy, it's a privilege to praise Him and to be part of that choir, to be part of that people that recognizes the worth of God. So, um, are you hungry this morning? <laughs> Jesus said, Let him who have ears, let him hear. Man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from God. Think about that. You know, we, we just take for granted that we breathe when we wake up, that we have life. We just kind of assume we're going to have life tomorrow. But, but the Bible is very clear that, that life only has one source, and it's, it's God himself. God is the source of life, and it's his words, it's his truth that gives us life, that gives us everything we need, everything we long for is found in Him. I, uh, I, was, I think it was about sixth grade, I was living in uh, Haxton, Colorado, maybe some of you know where that is, northeastern Colorado, little, little tiny farming community, and um, I, was, I went to the public school that year in Haxton, and I was sitting in the back row, uh, are, are there any other back row people here? I'm a, I'm a back row guy. <laughs> I don't really like sitting up front. I like being in the back of the class. I've always liked being in the back. And, um, and the teacher called on me, and, uh, and I didn't have glasses back then, and she had written something on the board, and I was doing the squint, you know, I was trying to trying to see, you know, you can kind of move your eyes a little bit to try to try to see, and I was really struggling. So she gave my, my parents a call, and she said, uh, I think you need to take your son to the eye doctor. <laughs> so I went to the eye doctor, and sure enough, I needed, I needed glasses. My, my eyes were bad. And uh, I, I remember very clearly that day when I got my first pair of glasses, and I walked out, and I was kind of walking very gingerly, carefully, not to fall down. But, but I was amazed because the world was different. The colors were brighter, everything was sharper. I noticed things, I'd, I'd driven that road over and over many times, but all of a sudden I was noticing things I'd never seen before. It was like my whole life opened up and I saw things completely in a different way. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one or despise the other. Abraham Lincoln said, a a house divided can't stand, or a nation divided can't stand. Jesus is telling us here, a heart divided can't stand. You see, God, God designed us a certain way to, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We were, we were created to be worshipers. <laughs> we were created to be worshipers. And yet, we see in the scriptures that there's a, there's a war for our hearts. There's a worship war for the hearts of every human being who exists. We've been studying through the book of Judges. Uh, tonight, today's our last day in the book of Judges. This has been a rich, rich study for me personally. I pray for you. Um, you know, my concept of Judges a year ago is very different than, or not, than today because having studied deeper, I've, I've realized that it's not just a bunch of random stories, that, that there is a, a central story here that's part of the whole story of the Bible. And it's a story about worship. It's a story about God's love for his people and God's heart as a deliverer of his people. 
but it's also a story about human brokenness, <laughs> human sinfulness, and our propensity to worship other gods. Yet God is relentless in his pursuit of our hearts because he loves us and he wants to rescue us from those idols because um, if there's one thing we see in Judges as we go through, it gets, uh, it's a tragedy. It gets worse and worse because when we give our hearts to other gods, when we give our love to uh, other things that aren't God, it only leads to oppression. It only leads to slavery. It only leads to heartache and destruction. And, and that's the human story, right? The, 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 the history of our story is littered with war and destruction and abuse and pain and suffering because of that worship battle for our hearts. And we see that in the book of Judges over and over. Yet we see God who's faithful, God who is true to his word, God who is the rescuer and the deliverer and consistently is faithful to his covenant, to his promise to love his people no matter what, no matter what. So this morning we're going to be in Judges um, chapter 16. We're going to look at the story of Samson. Um, how many of you, when you think of Judges, you think of Samson? <laughs> like he's kind of the He's like the ultimate judge in a lot of ways, and it's a fascinating story. It's an incredible story. We're not going to be able to read the whole story, so I'm going to summarize a little bit. We're going to read a little bit in, in chapter uh, 16, but, but Samson is unique in that it's the only judge where we get the whole story of his birth, uh, kind of his growing up a little bit, and kind of more details into his life. Like a lot of the other judges, um, we kind of meet them at the moment when Israel cries out and then God raises them up and then they deliver the people of Israel and fight against the enemies of God and against his people. But in, in Samson, we see an origin story of two uh, parents, a, a woman and a man, who are unable to have children. And so um, these, are, these are godly people and so they're, they're asking God uh, to grant them their, their desire for a child. And so an angel of the Lord appears to uh, Samson's mother and, uh, and tells her that she's going to have a child um, and asked her to, to take a vow not to drink any alcohol and some other things. But um, she, she ends up telling her husband and he has his doubts <laughs> about this, this apparition of an angel of the Lord. And so um, the angel comes back to the, the wife, and she runs and grabs her husband, and the angel speaks to both of them that they're going to have a son. And so uh, this is a, a miraculous event where, where God steps into the life of, these, of this man and this woman, and they have a son, Samson. Samson's born. And they agree that he is going to take a Nazarite vow, and so he... Um, takes that vow, and part of that is a, is a deep um, commitment to holiness, to live different than the surrounding culture, not to drink alcohol, not to cut his hair, not to eat uh, certain things, not to uh, involve himself in things that can make him himself unclean spiritually. And so um, Samson takes his vow. But very early on, we see that Samson uh, is not very good <laughs> at keeping his part of the deal. Um, he goes to his parents because he saw a Philistine woman that he was attracted to and said, I'm going to marry this woman. His mom and dad, again, godly people, saying, no, that's not God's way. Why don't you choose a wife from among uh, the Israelites, from the people who are worshiping God? But Samson says, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. For she is right in my eyes. Do you remember what we titled this whole sermon series? Doing what is right in our own eyes. That is the theme of the book of Judges. The, the theme of book of Judges is doing what's right in our own eyes as opposed to what's right in God's eyes. And so Samson becomes a, a picture of this uh, rejection of God's way and say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's also, I think it leads us to uh, where the rest of the book of Judges goes, where we begin to see people um, begin to live out the fullness of what it means to do what's right in our own eyes and where that leads us. And so what we begin to see in Samson is a pattern. 
we begin to see a pattern of not keeping uh, his Nazarite vow, not honoring God, not worshiping God, but rather pursuing his own desires, his own loves, his own pleasure, what he thinks is right. And so not only is it the pursuit of this first wife, which ends up in a, in a total disaster. You talk about family fights. <laughs> this is a family fight to another level. And, and he goes to war with uh, his wife's family and ends up uh, killing a lot of Philistines. But, but there's an interesting verse there that says all this was part of God's plan to bring judgment on the Philistines. So even in his sin, God is accomplishing something greater. Does that give you hope this morning? <laughs> it gives hope to me. Even in our struggle, even in our weakness, God is faithful. He's doing something greater than what we can even see with our own eyes. And so then we see Samson not only break uh, God's way in his relationships with these women, but also he begins to uh, do unclean things. Um, he... he kills a lion and he eats honey out of the lion's carcass, which would have been uh, against the Nazarite vow. And then he pursues more women. In fact, there's three different women that are highlighted in this story. And the final woman, many of you know this name, Delilah, is where we're going to pick up in our reading. And I'm not going to read the whole story of Delilah. Basically, he pursues a relationship with her. And there's an interesting phrase that Samson says. He says, he's, he's in love with Delilah. He's in love with with her. And uh, he begins this relationship with her. And, and yet Delilah is not in love with Samson. <laughs> in fact, the Philistines offer her money to betray him so that they can capture him. And so while he's uh, in love with her, she's figuring out how to, how to get him arrested, how to get him in big trouble. And so you have this back and forth where she says, if you really love me, you would tell me your secret to your strength. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 18 of chapter 16, it'll be on the screens. And when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, because he told her that if his hair was cut, he would lose her strength, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back at once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Remember, she betrayed him for some money. And after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Now, now pay attention to this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. What was the secret to Samson's strength? Was it his long hair, or was it something else? He did not know that the Lord had left him. And then the Philistines seized him. And pay attention to this. This, the, the, this, the author here, and I, this might have been Samuel who wrote this book, but, but he's, he's, tell, he's given us clues to something deep, spiritual, that God wants to get a hold of us about here. He says, then the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes. And they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding corn in the prison, but the hair in his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into their hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. So... So remember that the, the Jewish people are to be worshipers of God, Yahweh, the Lord of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. And the, the battle, the spiritual battle over worship, right? And here, Samson called by God to lead God's people into worship, and now the Philistines are worshiping their God, right? And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. And when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, and so that I may lean against them. And now the temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. That's a lot of people. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord. And we only have record of Samson praying two times. 
Once, after he defeated the Philistines, he was so thirsty, he said, I'm going to die of thirst, God. Have mercy on me. Give me some water. And so God brought water out of the ground, and Samson drank. And this is the second prayer of Samson. He prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord. Samson's recognizing something here, that God has a purpose and a plan bigger than what he could see. Remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. And then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Ashtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he had led Israel for 20 years. Now, you should feel a little sad <laughs> reading this story because this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy. But there's strands of hope <laughs> in this, and no pun intended. There's strands of hope in this story that reveals something that God is doing in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of weakness. You see, Samson is a, a like all the judges, there are pictures of, of the Christ, of the Messiah, of, of Jesus, because all these figures are pointing to a, a greater hope. In fact, the author of Hebrews writes that, that the whole Old Testament is really a story about God preparing the hearts of his people for a better covenant, a better Savior, a better Lord, a better judge found in Jesus Christ. And so in one sense, Samson is a, is a Christ figure, and he, since he's pointing us to a greater story. You see the, the resemblance to, at least in some parts, to the story of Jesus and his miraculous birth, and childless uh, parents, and, and his life of, of strength in some ways, and, and even in his sacrificial death. Yet, in another sense, it is a complete contrast to Jesus. In every way, <laughs> in every way, a contrast to Jesus. Because in Jesus we see um, the glory of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. In Samson, we see the worst impulses of humanity. And so there's three things I want to observe here this morning with you. Number one is eyes. Do you see the theme of sight? Eyes. <laughs> and this, if you keep reading in Judges, you'll see this phrase repeated more and more often. That they did whatever was right in their own eyes. And so the, the contrast here we see is that Samson... Though he has so much, you could say Samson was blessed by God in so many ways. In fact, the culture would celebrate, our culture today would celebrate so much about Samson. His strength, um, his, his smartness, uh, he's crafty, he's able to get things done. We see him attractive, and we see him pursuing his desires. But what we see is that his eyes, his sight, his focus, his love, is not to God, rather on everything else. Whether it's the women, whether it's his uh, desire for revenge, or his desire for honey, we see him being driven by his natural desires instead of God. And so his eyes. And what's ironic here is that at the end of his life, when his eyes are taken out, his physical eyes, and he can't see, and he's weak, we get a glimpse of Samson actually seen. And this is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, about the eye is the lamp of the body. If the light within you is darkness, how great that darkness. We begin to see a light in Samson at the end of his life when he is weak and eyeless. Then he begins to see. There's an interesting story in John chapter 9 where, where Jesus heals a blind man. And there's this big controversy because the Pharisees are all up in arms <laughs> that Jesus healed this man. And they, they kind of drag this man and his parents. And, and it's, it's a big 
it's a big controversy and um, a big drama, right? And, and everyone's missing the point that a blind man got his eyes back. He could see, right? And everyone's upset at Jesus. And they're mad at him. But at the very end of chapter 9, there's a dialogue where, where Jesus comes back to this man who is blind. And, and this is what the blind man says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. This man had been blind his whole life, but, but he's beginning to see. And look at, look at what it says about this man. He says he worshipped Jesus. This blind man worshipped Jesus. Remember, this is a battle about the human heart. It's a battle over our hearts. The battle we're in today is about your heart and what you will worship, what you will love, what you will see, what you will desire in this life. You see, God doesn't want to harm us. <laughs> he wants to bless us. And so the very thing that we think many times will bless us actually harms us. Just like Samson, he was, he was looking at the, all the wrong things. He was looking for life in the wrong places. He was looking for satisfaction in the wrong things. He missed it. He was blind. This blind man sees, he worships Jesus. He sees the way God made him to see. And this is what Jesus says. Listen to these words. For judgment... I have come into this world. For judgment, I have come into this world. You see, Jesus is the judge. <laughs> he is the ultimate judge. He is, he is the fulfillment of what judgment means. We need a judgment. We need a judgment. I need a judgment. We all need a judgment because we don't know what's right. We don't know what's wrong. We're confused. Remember at the very beginning at the garden, the, the, the tree that they weren't to eat was the knowledge of good and evil. You see, we weren't created to judge. <laughs> That's not our place. There's only one judge. It's God. He is the judge. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. We don't. We're confused. <laughs> We're wrong in what we think is right or wrong, what we think is best for ourselves, what we think is better for others. We don't know. We get it wrong every time. Only God knows, for judgment I have come in this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. That's profound. Jesus is telling us something so profound. We can't figure this thing out by ourselves. We need a help that's outside of ourselves. We need a deliverer. We need a savior. We need someone to set us straight, to set us right, to give us glasses to see because we can't see without him. Right now you're just, you're blurry, I can't see you. I need help. I need something from outside of myself to help me. All of us do, and that is why Jesus came. <laughs> he came for that reason, to save, to deliver. Samson's eyes were bad. He needed new eyes. Number two, his strength. He thought his strength was in his hair. There's, this is a literary device. He's showing us that the confusion is that, that Samson thinks it's all about the hair. It's not about the hair. It's the presence of God. It's the spirit of God. It's the strength of God. It's the power of God. That is what brings deliverance. Each judge brought deliverance when the Holy Spirit came upon them. It wasn't because they were so strong or so smart or because they had the resources. It's because of who God is. Samson had it all wrong. He was focused on the wrong thing. It was God's spirit in him. And that was the, that's the, the, the point there is he did not know that the Lord had left him. Do we know the voice of the Lord? Do you know the presence of the Lord? <laughs> There's nothing more important. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. That's the most important thing, to know the word of God, the presence of God, who God is. And what we see throughout the judges is, is there was confusion about who God was. But, but when we begin to see with the eyes that God gives us, the spiritual eyes that God makes alive in us, then we begin to see who God is. <laughs> We're not confused and we know who we are, and we know our purpose, we know our place in this world, and we know what we were called to do to be worshipers of him. Strength is not found in our hair, our resources, but it's found in God. It's found in God. 
Number three, idolatry. Idolatry. This is the root issue for Samson. It's the root issue for all of the judges, all of the story, and throughout the book of the Old Testament, throughout all the New Testament, throughout all of our lives, there's a battle of our hearts. So Samson, he gave away his sight, his eyes. He pursued things that were not of God. He focused on things that were not from God. He gave away his strength. He didn't use his strength the way God intended him, but in spite of his sin, God still used and worked through him for his greater purposes. And third, he gave away his love to others that were not God. It says he, he loved Delilah. And here's the root issue of idolatry. Just, this is what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon, sermon on the Mount. You cannot serve two masters. You can't love both things. God says our hearts are designed to, to, for only one ultimate love. We need one ultimate love, and it's God himself. And when we love God rightly with everything that we are, with everything he created us to be, then it prioritizes and it orders all our other loves. <laughs> then we see clearly how we're to love our most intimate relationships, how we're to love those in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, in our communities, in our nation. We, we begin to order our loves. And this is what we call discipleship. This is what we call sanctification. This is what we call uh, transformation in the image of God, is that we become God-like in how we love and how we live our lives and how we order our lives. And that's what we're going to be talking over the next three weeks as we go to Easter. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, which says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith. And we're going to learn about throwing off every sin that entangles, everything that hinders us. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, grace of God to order our lives correctly, but it has to start with an ultimate first love for God. God is first. He is most worthy of our lives, of our thoughts, our words, everything we are, our energy, everything we have is for his glory because there is no greater glory. It's the ordering of our loves. And when we shift those loves to other things, the result is always death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's slavery. The story of the Bible of the Israelites enslaved is a picture of the slavery of sin. And this is what the New Testament talks about in Romans, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but now we become instruments of righteousness, <laughs> right? It's the ordering of our loves because when we love the wrong things, when we give our hearts to idols, they will always destroy us. They will always consume us. They will always betray us. It's always Delilah. <laughs> uses us, not for our good, but for their advantage. That's what idols do to us. I'm going to call the worship team up here, and over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12 um, that says, fix your eyes on Jesus. But I want, to, I want to read a few verses at the end of Hebrews 11, because Samson is in the great hall of faith. And this gives us hope. <laughs> this is the strand of hope for us this morning. All these are commended by their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. And so we look at our lives sometimes and we have struggles. We have struggles like Samson. We're drawn to things like Samson. Uh, none of us are righteous on our own. This is why we need God in our lives. But since God had planned something better for us, so only together with us would they be perfect. You, did you catch that? God plans something better for us. God plans something better for you. You are not identified by your sin struggle, by that shame, by that struggle, by whatever your heart is drawn to. That doesn't have to define you because God is greater. He's doing something better for us. So only together with us, the presence of God, they might be made perfect. God is doing something. He's making us into a new kind of person, a new kind of people. He doesn't abandon us to sin. He intervenes in our lives. And here's, here's the application for us this morning. Like Samson, when he got humbled, when he was stripped of his strength, 
He didn't have all those other things. His eyes were no longer focused on all those things. That He looked to God and he said, Sovereign Lord. He looked to God. And when we acknowledge our weakness, when we confess our sin, when we confess how prone we are to idolatry, when we realize that we don't have the resources within ourselves that we need God, what does God do? He takes our weakness and he makes it strong. <laughs> he takes our poverty and he makes us rich. He takes our brokenness and he makes us whole. God does that. It's resurrection. <laughs> this is what Jesus did on the cross. This is what he did in resurrection. When we put our hope and our faith in Jesus, he will save us and he will give us a new strength, his strength. And so it's not a story of tragedy. It's a story of resurrection hope. You see, Jesus is the new and better Samson <laughs> who demonstrates in weakness comes power. And what would be shameful on a cross comes victory. And what appears like the end in death comes life. Do you see it? Do you hear what God is saying? This is what we're going to end with before we sing Hebrews chapter 1, because I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times in various ways. So God spoke through the judges. He spoke through the Old Testament stories. But in these last days, this is the day we live in today. He has spoken to us by his Son. The way we hear God is through Jesus. This is the voice of God. This is the presence of God. This is the power of God for your life today and my life today, whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom he also made the universe. <laughs> wow. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to their name. Praise the name of Jesus.
is no one like him. Thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping our king. We'll see you guys next week.